1: Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Julie Ellenbecker, president of the Ellenbecker Investment Group. Ellenbecker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 on Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building. We also have a location in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building, right across the street from Winkies, for our eastsiders who know where that is. Um, We also happily service clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. Uh, Typically, I like to service clients there in the Wisconsin winter. Uh, But you can visit any of our offices um, and check us out. More details on EllenBecker.com. If you want to put a face with a name, there's a lot of information about all of our employees there and a tour of our offices. So uh, check it out at any time. My guest today is Dick Schiller, and Dick is a portfolio manager and wealth advisor with Pavlik Investment Advisors. He is a CFA and a CPA, so we're going to get a lot of great information today. Um, Our goal is really to provide a market update going to summarize a little bit about what's happened in the recent past, what's going on right now, and what we have to look forward to as it relates to uh, the stock market and the economy overall. So this should be an interesting show. Every single meeting that I sit in, people are asking me uh, not only what's happening, but what do I think is going to happen? So um, Dick's going to provide some great insight into that. And we're also going to dig in deeply into the fixed income market. That is a specialty of public Investment Advisors, and that's really how Ellen Becker Investment Group works most strongly with Dick and his team, is on managing fixed income. So we're going to talk a little bit about what has happened in the fixed income market and why it's so important to have fixed income as part of your portfolio, no matter what market climate we expect is coming down the pipe. So we're going to spend some time exploring the markets, talking about fixed income, and then at the end of the show, we're going to happily, you know tell you what to watch for in the coming months. So I'm going to take a quick break. And when I return today, I will introduce you to Dick and we will get started. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Julie Ellenbecker, president of the Ellenbecker Investment Group. You can learn more about Ellenbecker Investment Group at www.ellenbecker.com. And my guest today is Dick Schiller. And Dick is a portfolio manager and wealth advisor with Pavlik Investment Advisors in Delafield. And we've worked with Pavlik team for many years uh, in a fixed income capacity. And one of the things I always enjoy talking um, with the Pavlik team about is market updates and what's happened and most excitedly what's going to happen. So today's going to be a great show. It's an interesting topic. Uh, welcome, Dick. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Julie. Great to be here.
1: Wonderful. Well, why don't we start, maybe introduce yourself a little bit and talk about you know, what, what has prompted you to have the insight to evaluate a little bit about what's going on in the market.
0: Certainly. Yeah, happy to. So uh, by, by way of background, be, before I joined Public Investment Advisors, I was at the & Phelps Investment Management. We Managed uh, 10 to 11 billion dollars at the firm across alternative assets, so REITs, utilities, and MLPs, or, or uh, uh, you know, pipelines in the energy sector. I was specifically focused on the the REIT team. We had a, both a, a U.S. only and a global REIT product, uh, and had about three billion in assets under management there. Uh, and prior to that, I was on the sell side at Robert W Baird, a local Milwaukee company here, uh, also covering REITs. So for the last six years, really been focused on REITs. And one of the uh, the really exciting things that uh, crossed my path is I joined uh, Terry as Terry was you know, sharing me how he he manages the Allen Becker bond portfolios. And you know we were looking at well, what's the best available? Why would we pick this bond over another bond? What what makes the most sense in creating? Know, portfolios for Allen Becker clients, and you know, of course, when we're looking out, uh, definitely further out under the maturity ladder, there were a number of REITs that popped up. So, you know, I you know see the names and on uh, definitely the, the TD Ameritrade uh, platform that that we use. There, there's not really the research capability there, but the, the good thing that I can bring to the table ultimately to the benefit of Allen Becker clients as well is, you know, I, I see some of the REITs out there, and I see well. If I have a urban uh, office company uh, in predominantly New York office, uh, you know, San Francisco, California, versus maybe a a lab space company, I have a pretty good sense that I'm more bullish on lab space, for instance, or maybe grocery anchored shopping than I am on urban office. And with, you know, the, the spread between those two could be 10, 20 basis points. That's where Terry and I sit down together and we say, why take you know excise risk ten for ten basis points if it makes a lot of sense to uh, just maybe take the foot off the gas a little bit and, and look in really growing sectors? So, you know that's what I think I can bring to the table. Definitely, there are are there are a number of other industries out there that that we're investing in. We try to stay diversified uh, across the bond portfolio just like we would in stock portfolios, but. Uh, that's a little bit about uh, my background and how it uh, port, portrays to uh, also managing the Allen-Becker portfolios.
1: Wonderful. Well, I, um, uh, in interest of the general public listening to the show today, I'm going to circle back and ask for some opinions on real estate before we're all done. Terrific. But let's, <laughs> but let's stay focused and talk a little bit about the market. And one of the things that I my clients come in and, and, and ask me, why is the market doing so well? What is happening? Why is there such a disconnect between what I'm reading in the newspaper or hearing on TV and what's happening in the stock market? And it's always so interesting to me how the stock market and the economy actually operate fairly differently. And, and, um, you know, one is not always the way that the other is operating as well. So when we talk about the stock market and sort of what's happened in the last year, as well as what's happening right now, what insight and updates can you provide our listeners?
0: Yes, yeah, certainly. You you say the last year and the uh, the absolute COVID bottom in the stock market was March twenty third, twenty twenty. So we are just uh, lapsing that low. I think we were at twenty two fifty on the S and P five hundred, and currently we're trading over four thousand. So we've almost come a, a doubling. I believe we're up about eighty five percent from that COVID low, and uh, to also put that move in perspective, this has been the shortest uh, time period where we've had that large of a move it truly has been v-shaped we had about 22 days from the peak in february dropped down to 2200 on the s p and we've we've shot back really hard with with the vengeance uh you know the the number one rule it's it just it's it's so beneficial in this environment too is is always don't fight the fed i I know it sounds kind of silly but they you know they, they really are the the most important player out there in the financial markets and if we look back at you know the COVID downturn and look back to the Great Financial Crisis, what we would complain about TARP being 700 billion and how you know that you know, was was really big and we're going to have a, a lot of inflation. Well, the the when you compare the two stimulus packages, we're we're in the approaching 10 trillion dollars between both Congress uh, on in the, the monetary side of the house and then on the, or I'm sorry, on the fiscal side of the house, but on the monetary side of the house, the Fed balance sheet has also grown by $3 trillion. So it, it really makes it look like peanuts when you go back to the rate financial crisis to the amount of stimulus that we have given the market uh, here uh, in the COVID uh, crisis. I call it the GBC, the great virus crisis. Uh, and, and that's translated to to rising uh, equity prices. There's There's no question looking back that the the Federal Reserve and the Federal Government have both been uh, big beneficiaries uh to, to to promoting asset prices. And what you know it's funny when when you go back and you you think about how it felt in March. I mean, I, I remember looking at the screens and there was almost daily circuit breakers triggered. When the market goes down seven percent, they hit the pause button in 15 minutes. Uh, you know, you, you step away from the screens, and uh, at, when I was at Duff and Phelps at the time, all of a sudden everyone would be going to the water cooler, and you know we're all just kind of speechless, catching our breath. Like, can can we believe this happened? I think there was one day where it happened twice. We hit the market breakers, uh, that the circuit breakers that stopped the market, and it's a really scary time. And uh, you know, when you look back on it, those scary times are are the best times to actually move and and invest in in stocks. To, you know what what we tell our clients we're, we're gonna come to you and say this sounds like an absolute crazy idea I know you are sick to your stomach and you think the the world is going to end but this is the time where we should be reallocating our portfolios and, and buying more stocks when when they're low and uh, you know we, we had done that uh, on the equity side and you know now in my seat, as a portfolio manager and wealth advisor, now is the time when I get uncomfortable. Clients are thinking this is great—you know, buy more stocks. You know, Money's flowing in. This is, this is awesome. And I'm like, okay, well, I got to put that somewhere. And it's it's really tough in, in my shoes right now to find really good opportunities that aren't trading at crazy valuations uh, that that makes sense for for the portfolio. So that's a little bit on the stock side. Uh, on you know, the bond side, just turning to that market, we've had in the you know, when COVID hit, we move on the 10-year, which is kind of the base rate for the U.S. Treasury rate, risk-free uh, in, in theory. Uh, you know, we moved before COVID, we were between that 2 to 3% range. When COVID hit, we dropped from that 2 to 3% range all the way down to 0.6% on the U.S. 10-year, just rock bottom. Uh, r- really across uh, the globe, we we went negative in, in many countries, Germany, Japan, uh, and and since then, especially after the vaccine and, uh, news uh, from Pfizer and Moderna and BioNTech uh, on November 9th, that 10-year treasury has moved from 0.5, before that it moved up to about, uh, at year end, was 0.9%. So we'd already seen it start to move. And then throughout the first quarter, we touched 1.75%. And we've since pulled back a little bit from there in the mid one sixes, uh, but that's a big move. and, and you know i find it a little funny you see some of the headlines and they say the the 10-year interest rates have doubled well that's that's true we have doubled from 0.6 to 1.2 and and more you know you, you could even catch a, a bigger headline and say interest rates have tripled uh but when you know you, you take a step back and, and zoom out i like to tell people when in doubt zoom out you all, you see where you know one six one seven, we're, we're still relatively low compared to that two to three percent range where we were, uh, where, where we were prior uh, prior to COVID happening. So uh, you know, and on the bond side, on the fixed income side, we get excited when we see rising interest rates from the perspective of how we've set up our Allen Becker portfolio with every year ten percent uh, maturity run ladders per year. So far, year-to-date, we've had a, a number of maturities come back, uh, Barclays, Bank of America. Generally, that so far, year-to-date, it's been some of the financials uh, that have matured. And with that rising interest rate environment that we've seen, we now see higher rates uh, than what we could have earned uh, earlier in the year. So promising um, for, for fixed-income investors really across the board is we look to take those 2021 maturities and redeploy them uh, elsewhere in, the, in our maturity ladders.
1: Well, you know, you said a lot of things that I, I think are very in alignment with how we want to structure portfolios for our clients. And, you know, when when you talk about volatility and the amount of volatility we've had over the last 14 months, and particularly in that tight uh, V-shaped volatility, I, like you, kind of want to say this is our Super Bowl. This is when we actually can make a big difference in our clients' portfolios and substantially increase the longevity of their portfolio is during those periods of volatility. So, like you, it's these um, running up periods or these calming periods that, for wealth advisors, tend to make us pause and um, you know and, and restructure how we want to approach the portfolios. But I encourage my clients. I say this all the time: volatility is not bad. Some people think a down market is a bad market, and for us, in in last year when we had a substantial. Um, dip in the market, considering a down market, that was the best market we had because we were able to make really solid moves for our clients. We paid attention to fixed income and we were able to rebalance during periods of volatility. We were able to make wonderful tax moves as it relates to harvesting losses or um, Roth conversions and things like that. And so I always look at a down market being an uh, opportunity for our clients. Um, And just like you said, you know, that's the time where we can really shine. And even though it feels counterintuitive to have those conversations with clients during volatile market periods, um, that just gives us a ton of opportunities. So it's these types of periods that we're experiencing today that are, it's much more difficult. And and this is a big part of what I want to talk to you about after our break is, you know, what can we do with money that's out there? I talk to our clients all the time. You know, it's, it's hard to buy real estate right now. First of all, all the prices are really expensive and the way that the real estate is flying off the shelves makes it even difficult if you want to buy something to get something. Markets are at such a high that people are hesitant to put, you know, a substantial amount of cash in the markets. Money market uh, yields are so low. Bond prices are are constantly evolving it's really a hard, it's a hard time for us as investors to know where to put um, assets and cash. And so I do wanna spend some some time talking about that when we return, but what you said that I thought was, you know, very in alignment with how we approach our client's portfolio is, is managing the portfolio during volatile times. You know, I explain to our clients all the time when we start to develop fixed income portfolios, you know, my intention is not to avoid volatility. That would be unrealistic and it would not be in their best interest. My intention is to never have to sell a quality investment when the market is down. And that's <clears throat> where fixed income comes into play for me and for, for our team. So we will take a quick break. And when we return from the break, I will share a little bit about how we construct our portfolios from a fixed income perspective so that we can maintain our clients' distributions. I never want to call a client and tell them they can't get their check this month because the market's down. And so we'll talk about how we develop our distribution schedules, and then you can share with us more about the fixed income environment and what's available and what to expect. So Dick, we'll take a quick break and then we'll return. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Julie Ellenbecker, president of the Ellenbecker Investment Group. Ellen Becker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just off of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We also have an office in Whitefish Bay and Bonita Springs, Florida. If you'd like to learn more about Ellen Becker Investment Group, you can visit EllenBecker.com. You can put a face with a voice. You can check out our office. Um, and I would encourage you to look at our newsletter section. We create four newsletters a year. They're all uh, written in house with our employees and partners. We're really Uh, Proud of them because they give a good feel on how Ellen Becker Investment Group um, works with our clients. And, And each one of our newsletters has an article written by somebody from Pavlik Investment Advisors. And today I have Dick Schiller as our guest, and he is a CFA and a CPA Portfolio Manager and Wealth Advisor with Pavlik Investment Advisors. And we've been talking a little bit just about the markets and what happened and you know, particularly everything that took place during this COVID crisis, and then also how we've been able to rebound and what we can look forward to. But just before the break, we started talking about fixed income and the importance of fixed income in a portfolio. I have clients ask me all the time, you know, why would we want fixed income when interest rates are going up? This is not a good time to buy fixed income, or I don't really want to own fixed income because that's not going to grow substantially enough for me. Or the opposite is true. Some people want all fixed income and are nervous about the stock market. And so as wealth advisors, it's our responsibility to make sure that our clients understand the amount of risk they're taking and that they have a portfolio construction that they will be comfortable with in any market climate. And, you know, the idea is not to make adjustments to a portfolio based on what the market is doing. We're always happy to make adjustments to portfolios based on our own personal circumstances and changes. And things that take place in our life, but we don't want to make adjustments to the portfolio based on what's happening in the market. So when we construct portfolios for our clients, we want to identify um, uh, a structure that you're comfortable with in any market cycle. So let's say a 60-40 moderately balanced typical allocation, meaning 60% in stock and 40% in fixed income. And I'll ask our clients, you know, if you have 40% in fixed income, are you okay with only participating in a market uptick of about 60%? And if you're comfortable with that, then the opposite question comes true. Are you comfortable when the market goes down only having about 40% protected? And that's just an example on how it's important to understand and develop a portfolio you're comfortable with in any market cycle because adjusting the portfolio during volatility rarely works out um, over the long haul in, in favor of the investor. And so Dick is with us today talking about fixed income, and the way we construct our portfolios is once we determine the amount we want in fixed income, then we identify how that should be invested. And this is where we rely heavily on uh, Pavlik investment advisors, because they are experts in the fixed income market. But oftentimes, clients have a hard time figuring out how much should be in fixed income, and when i construct portfolios for a client i don't only look at your age or your or your comfort with risk or how much how much you have we look at how much money you're going to need to spend in retirement and and we want to protect a significant amount of of that income so that you can sleep well at night with the stock portfolio going up and down so what i mean by that if for example if you need to distribute $50,000 a year out of your investment portfolio and you're very, very, very comfortable with risk and you consider yourself a risk taker, uh, we may need to protect somewhere around three to five years of your income and the rest of your portfolio can be in stock. So, you know, that would be one way to look at it. Let's say though you're a moderate risk person and you feel like you are comfortable with some volatility, but you want to be protected, then we might want to keep five to seven or five to eight years of your tax. If you're very risk averse and you want to not feel the effects of volatility nearly as much, then maybe we want to keep 10 years of your income protected. But that's really how we look at constructing a portfolio is making sure that we have enough money protected for you so you can sleep at night and then the rest of the portfolio can be allocated for equities. So once we decide how much you need to have in fixed income, three years, five years, 10 years, whatever it is of your income needs. Then we have to decide on how to invest it. And there's a variety of ways to invest in fixed income. And this is, again, where Dick is going to enlighten us and talk a little bit about how how would we construct a portfolio in fixed income when our goals are first to preserve principal because we want this part of the portfolio to be conservative and protected. Second, to make sure we're at least making more money than we would sitting in a money market. And then third, to really minimize that risk. Once we've allocated a part of the portfolio as sort of our conservative money, um, what options are out there for investing?
0: I think of the bond portfolio as the swan portion of the portfolio, the sleep well at night. You mentioned that a couple of times. It really resonates with uh, what we do here at Pavlik as well. I don't ever want to be up at night based on the holdings that we're, we have in our bond portfolio. I also don't want in our stock portfolios to be up at night thinking about them, but especially in the, the bond portfolio. So our first, you know, I would call it the first uh, path that a bond needs to get through in order for us to consider public investment advisors is are they investment grade? So there's two big pools of bonds, you know, high yield or junk bonds and investment grade. Investment grade being triple uh, B plus or higher uh, on uh, the S and P uh, rating system, and really there we we have a benefit on. Uh, and the bond side because S&P Moody's Fitch they're constantly evaluating the debt levels of these companies uh in, in relation to their equity position and then also on the the other side of the balance sheet uh their their debt levels so we know uh it, we we have a benefit of of having S&P Moody's give us their thoughts that's the first starting point uh you know that can be a quick screen if if S&P Moody's doesn't like it we don't like it either Throw it out. Now let's say S and P and Moody's. We we screen for investment grade and above, and uh, you know they, we have 20 bonds to to choose from. The top 20. Let's take the top 20 bonds that have the greatest yield to worst uh, yield to call uh, or yield to maturity, because ultimately we we want safety, but we also want to to maximize income. We want to maximize the coupon interest uh, that that we're receiving from these bonds. Earn that. Uh, return that I was in the last segment. I was talking about the ten-year being at about 1.6% yield for what we for ten years out. Well, if I'm investing and in, taking risk by investing in a company, I better earn a premium uh, to that 1.65% where the ten-year is now. So let's say you know three uh, percent, three and a half percent. Can I get that from from ten years out? And, and yes, there are, there are opportunities uh, to to earn that income so then it's say okay well how do we invest uh, our allocation to bonds we want our safety we're, we're not really looking to take risk right if we if we want to take risk put that in the stocks if when i think take risk if you want to take risk with money you're not spending it for the next five years i, I don't want you coming back and said oh i i need to go buy a new house or buy a car or, or i had this emergency came up and i have medical bills I think that's the first part of of the process is setting aside that money that you don't need for five years, putting that in stocks for for the bond positions, we have a rolling 10 year maturity ladder, so that means 10% per year for the next 10 years. So the good thing is that let's say you have a a bond uh, or an expense come up within the next year, you you know that that bond is is maturing uh, within one year and you will get that money. Uh, back. Now we're, when bonds mature, provided we don't know that you have expenses coming up, we're going to try to get that money reinvested right away. We don't want it sitting in cash because we want it to earn the, the best yields for clients. So uh, one other part is that what we do at, at, at Padlock and Ellen Becker Investment Group that I think is key is is we are investing in direct corporate bonds. There, there, there is, are no bond funds that we're investing, in a, a big part of that uh, is is just fees. Uh, you know, quite simply, trying to minimize the amount of fees by, by us going out and buying direct corporate bonds. There's no assets under management fee that that we're charging by putting you know our clients' money in there. Uh, it's that the we're doing the work, right? So it's Ellen it's Pablo, We're doing the work. Why would we allocate money to another bond manager to then charge fees on top of it? So first and foremost, direct over bonds are minimizing uh, fees. Secondly, we by the 10-year maturity ladder, we are reducing the amount of interest rate risk. We're, we're not getting rid of interest rate risk. I, I call it we're accepting interest rate risk. And this is a perfect example of what we've seen really in this year-to-date period, is interest rates have risen. Bond prices have fallen. You know, I look at the uh, the Vanguard Bond Index is the, the BND is the ticker. It's down about three percent, but also that doesn't keep me up at night because we're we're accepting that that's part of our strategy. And all the bonds that have come due in March and April, you know, before that in February of this year, we've been able to capitalize on that rising interest rate environment. If if they were a twenty one maturity, we're, we're looking out to to thirty one to see where can we take that uh, capital and, and reallocate it and yields are higher. We're, we're earning better yields than what we would have if we were to be reallocating that capital at the beginning of the year. So that's the rising interest rates are really a good thing based on our strategy. I think also in the last piece of this, in, in a bond fund, they generally don't hold bonds until maturity. So you're really playing interest rate risk. Uh, and it's, it's a little bit like in the stock market as if you're playing valuation risk. If you say, well, 24 times earnings on the S&P 500, I'm, I'm selling and buy back at 22 times earnings. Uh, in the bond market, that's just not really a game we wanna play. We wanna know that interest rate risk is out there, accept it uh, and manage the portfolios uh, accordingly, because this isn't the risk portion of the portfolio, uh, that this is really just trying to uh, maximize returns uh, for a given level of risk and the risk being very conservative.
1: Yeah, that's the part of the portfolio that that we really um, help our clients understand the impact it's going to have during periods of volatility. Because as I said earlier, when clients are in a distribution phase, they don't want to have to adjust their distributions because what's happening in the market. We want to make sure that that's protected. We want to make sure that we know what's going to happen to this money when the market is volatile. And every time a bond comes due, we look and say, "Okay, do we need to spend this money or can we reallocate it and definitely go from that from that approach? And so uh, this is the sleep well at night. I've never heard it called SWAN, but I might take Mm -hmm. that from you because I do like it. This is our SWAN money. Um, Not only do we want to sleep at night, but we most importantly want to make sure our clients sleep well at night. So um, good. Let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we will talk a little bit about what we can expect going forward with the economy and and the fixed income market, as well as you can uh, give us a quick insight into what's happening with real estate. So we'll take a quick break and be right back. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Julie Ellenbecker, president for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. Becker Investment Group has three locations, with our main location being in Pewaukee, as well as being able to meet with clients in both Whitefish Bay and Bonita Springs, Florida. Check out our webpage at www.ellenbecker.com. We are starting to uh, host some great events again and some other things coming up. We also have our newsletters listed uh, right on the webpage, as well as uh, putting a face with a voice if you're interested to learn anything more about our team members. My guest today is Dick Schiller, and he is a portfolio manager and a wealth advisor with Pavlik Investment Advisors. And so he uh, is a CFA as well as a CPA. And so we're getting lots of great information to digest here as it relates to the market and the economy. And so our last segment really dug into fixed income and the importance of having that in the portfolio and of that being the SWAN money, which we're calling the sleep well at night money, because we want to make sure that our clients can weather volatility and um, anticipate at least what's going to happen to their portfolio when the market does adjust. And so next, what I'd like to hear from you, Dick, is a little bit more about what indicators we should be watching for, what we can expect to happen going forward. I know uh, this is the crystal ball part, and I know you don't have one any better than Mm -hmm. I do. But I know you also have a lot of um, analytics and research that can guide you to um, some better insight into kind of what we can expect going forward and what what we should be watching for um, as the year progresses.
0: Yes, certainly. So first and foremost, within bonds, we look at inflation, The, the higher the inflation rate is in the economy. Uh, the expectation of, of greater growth, the expectation of prices rising. Also, that translates in the fixed income portfolio to higher interest rates. So the, the good and the bad, right? I, I, I'm not really coming out and making a prediction on interest rates, just like I wouldn't make a prediction on stock valuations. And I, I'm not making a, a prediction on where bond yields will head as a result. But with our strategy, I really don't have to. I, I know we have a 10-year maturity ladder, uh, all in high quality investment grade bonds, and then we add a layer of diversification. If, if I have on 2029, for instance, national oil, oil Barco is the best investment grade, highest yielding bond available, and then there's also an inventory of Halliburton for 2030. Well, I, I really don't want to be an all oil uh, bond portfolio, I want industry diversification when we're constructing these, and we go through uh, account by account to make sure that uh, we have that. Uh, you know that's where we might step back, take a three basis point hit and put in a different sector. but what i I know is that of the twenty twenty one bonds that are maturing uh, bonds are being called constantly, and we're seeing a lot of that so far here today there there's been a lot of churn on the bond portfolio, not just from maturities but from bonds being called. We're able to then take that money and reallocate it, put it back to work. Uh, we we do think that interest rates will be moderately higher. it's you know, just a continuation of what we've seen. I think getting back to the two to three percent level where we were pre-COVID on the US tenure is is totally acceptable. And I do I do I think that puts us into a tailspin of a recessionary environment? I I really don't. I know some people call for that, but I, I look at it as we were already there uh, from 20. 16 to 2018 and th- those were really bullish times for, for both stocks and bonds so higher inflation means higher interest rates and as the bonds come due from 2021 2022 i'm excited about redeploying that capital and uh, bonds that we've already seen the yields move up very high quality companies that, uh, if i can get three percent coupon that the yield to call yield to worse has been a little bit lower than that but you know i I I want to get the highest uh, yield for investors. And I think this environment that's coming up in the next couple of years, bonds really haven't offered much in yield in the last year or so, but looking out uh, for the next couple of years, as those bonds mature, we're going to be able to redeploy into higher yielding assets. So, and just to wrap up on the inflation topic, because it is the number one thing that we look at, uh, when managing the fixed income portfolio. Uh, the CPI numbers were out actually just this morning. So uh, very good that uh, this question came up. And right now it's it's still surprisingly muted. So we were up 0.6% over the prior month and 2.6% over the prior month year. So this March versus last March. 2.6% is actually pretty high. The Fed's target is two to 3%. And this is above the midpoint of that range. Uh, but also I would point out, if you go back to last March, uh, the, the whole world was falling apart, right? We were in the crux of COVID. So this, this 2.6%, I, I actually would have thought it was would, would have been a little bit higher. Half of that increase was due to gasoline prices. In the last month, gas has gone up 9%. Uh, and year over year, gas has gone up 22.5%. So that's really where people are feeling the inflation is, is pain at the pump. Uh, if you will. Uh, Did
1: you say, Dick, that was a one-year
0: number? 22% for gasoline is on the one-year number and 9% this last month for
1: gasoline. This is why my kids are complaining so much because it's the one thing they're responsible for paying for. That's right. <laughs> and all of a sudden they're carpooling and they're, yeah, I know. I've noticed that at the pump. It. it I, I notice it, of course, with the dollar, but I also noticed how long it takes to fill up the car <laughs> and the number just keeps going up and up and up and up. So exactly. Wow, that's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, profound increase for sure. I've,
0: I've had some sticker shock and uh, uh, I guess a little bit of personal background. I recently moved up here from Chicago uh, to the Wisconsin area and there's, there's a lot of sticker shock in uh, Chicago with Four four and a half dollar a gallon gasoline.
1: Yes. It's all so a matter of
0: perspective, right? It is. It is. Yeah. Yes yeah, so is cheap up here. But yeah. anyway, um that it, when we're looking at that uh inflation target, we we say, hey, two and a half percent, that's that's not runaway inflation, right? I I'm not old enough, but I've read uh about uh, the seventies and the the eighties and, and runaway inflation and we I, I don't foresee that coming at, at least in, in the near term. I don't like making a bet more than you know two years out or so because who who, who can really with confidence say what the world is gonna look like two to three years out. But I'd say at least over the next 12 months, I, I would be surprised if we have a tenure that's over two and a half percent. So I think our, what we're telling clients is we expect interest rates to rise. We're capitalizing on that by, taking the bonds immature, redeploy them into higher yields. But I also don't think this is a, bonds are gonna you know, light on fire because interest rates are now six, 7% and they're currently yielding 3%. So the value of the bond has been cut in half. I I, I just don't think that that is gonna happen. You know, one of the things that I I always love reading Warren Buffett's newsletter, and I love reading Jamie Dimon's. Whenever they write their letters every year, I stop everything and read it usually on, on weekends. but. Um, Warren Buffett this year, he came out and he said, bonds are, are not the place to be. And uh, When you read further though, why, why did he say that? He expects rising rates. So there's, there's partly, uh, part of this is that he thinks rising rates are gonna negatively impact bond prices, which is true, but our, our strategy is to take the maturing bonds that are very short term. They have very little interest rate risk over the one to three year period and redeploying into higher prices. And then a second piece that was really important with what he said was, especially pension funds and and fixed income investors are stepping out further onto the risk curve. So they say, well, in the investment grade corporate bond market, I'm only earning two and a half to 3%. I need to step out into junk bonds, high yields or four and a half to 5% to meet the obligations of, let's say, my pension fund. And that's what we're not doing. Uh, I I breathed a sigh of relief when I read that in his letter because, I'm like, okay, well, we're not going. We'll accept the lower yields. To To be honest, if, if we're not going to increase risk in the bond portfolio, uh, it, it, just to get higher yield, that that's what stocks are for. That's not what bonds are for. And that's that's what we've done through this period. We, we've gone through a period where we we've accepted you know lower yields, and and I, I'm optimistic about the future because. You know, higher yields ultimately mean better returns for bond investors.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful for that because we rely on your expertise for our um, conservative fixed income. And so uh, we, we don't want to be stepping outside the box just to get a little more yield. That's for sure. Uh, so we talked about inflation and interest rates being an indicator. What else is important for us to watch this year?
0: Un- unemployment is, is is a number I'm watching. It's it's a little bit tough with with COVID and the amount of stimulus payments that that are out there. We we put in our quarterly letter just to try to frame uh, pulling together what what is the total amount of stimulus payments that have been been sent. And in January there were $600 per person, uh, not children, uh, given to to families. In February, in addition to the third COVID stimulus package was sent. So we have $1,400 for every man, woman, and child uh, in the family. Uh, And then in addition, there's a child tax credit. So $3,600 if a child is under the age of six, and $3,000 between the ages of six and 17. So you start pulling this all together, a family of four, there are income phase-out limits. It's $100,000 for single and $150,000 for married filing jointly. But you pull it all together and we came up with a number of $14,000, $14,000 of stimulus payments going to the average family of four, uh, married filing jointly, that's making $150,000 or less. That's that's no insignificant sum. And that's not, that's not I'm not talking about the unemployment benefits. These are working families that are just making under $150,000 before it starts getting phased out. Uh, so I look at the unemployment number. We've we've come down a long way, right? We we were at three and a half percent before COVID hit, uh, fifty-year low in unemployment. You know, we're just uh, now below six uh, percent. It's the, the the chart. If you look at a hundred-year chart, it, it looks like you know there there must have been a break in the machine, uh, and and there was. Uh, you know, there there really we we, we took the uh, economy and put it completely on hold in response to COVID. So I I think that will continue to trickle lower. Uh, The caveat is that just with all the stimulus money that's come in, uh, it's been very good for stocks. Uh, It's it's been good for bonds in the sense that we're we're seeing some higher rates on the horizon for for reinvestment. Um, And that unemployment level continues to tick lower, I think especially as the stimulus is worked through the system, right? I, I think we're gonna be focusing on infrastructure, uh, here at the middle of the year, and then probably corporate taxes uh, in the second half of the year, and uh, the uh, really the the focus on sending checks out to people—it's uh, really a form of modern monetary policy, if you will—that's uh, probably going to be come to pass. So I think as COVID uh, works through, vaccinations continue. Um, you know, we get through some of this uh you know news on Johnson and Johnson this morning, but uh, you know that's really a small portion of the majority of vaccinations have been uh Pfizer and and Moderna. Um I think in the second half of the year we're gonna see that unemployment rate drop down to five, four. And ultimately that's that's good for stocks, good for bonds. And you know, we we wrote in our piece and in the beginning of the year we're cautiously optimistic. That, you know, things are lofty, everything feels expensive, but at the same time we're not scaring our clients saying the world is come the end of the world is coming and we need to move to all cash. Uh, we're, we're trying to position it to say, hey, when there are five, 10% pullbacks, this is a time when, when we need to, to look at reallocations and, and some of that's maybe a bonds coming due and let's reallocate to stocks. Uh the the tough part here to date, the max drawdown we've had in the stock market has been four percent. So from the absolute peak to the absolute low, if you timed it to the minute, which is very hard to do. We've had four percent of a pullback. Uh, and, and that's that's tough. That that's a tough window to try to get new client money uh allocated. So uh that's that's where it's uh, clients are very happy, but I'm a little bit nervous in my boots because I'm kind of anxiously awaiting when is this five, 10% pullback that that we can make some really strategic moves. But uh you know, stocks don't go uh, up to the moon, uh, if you will, and, and they don't grow forever. So I'm confident we will have uh, opportunities here in the future.
1: And we'll be here to address it when they when they come up. And thank you so much for today. I have a, a lot of more questions I'd love to ask. We're going to have to save the content for our next newsletter or our next radio show. Um, but I do appreciate your time today. And if you like today's show and you want to know more, please visit our webpage Um, at ellenbecker.com or call us at 262-691-3200. We're happy to connect you with Dick or answer any other questions that you may have. And as always, I hope that I have made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. And remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Have a great day.